same passage, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 35, and we'll also be mentioning chapter 34. Let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired word. Uh, I want to be looking at chapter 35, and we're going to uh, jump down to a portion that picks up where we left off. We'll look at verses 18 through 24. 18 through 24. To give you a little bit of context for those who are new here today, Second Chronicles is like a newspaper. It was written a long, long time ago, but it was not written by the guys who went through the experience. It was written by others who kind of made editorial comments. And so the Chronicles, there's the First Chronicles and the Second Chronicles, and they were describing the events of the kingdom. So this is kind of like the congressional record if you... Well, that may be a little bit boring. But the, uh, the Second Chronicles is kind of exciting and interesting. But it covers a lot of the different kings. Because there were over 20 kings in the north and in the south. And so when you start to deal with them, we, we don't have that many chapters. So it gives us a little bit of a summary of what took place during the kingdom. And particularly during the, the terms of office that some of these guys were in. We're looking at a guy named Josiah. Josiah, if you... If you uh, He's one of the good kings. There's not that many of them. There's not that many of them. Sadly enough, that's where a lot of true of a lot of politicians. There doesn't seem to be that many good ones. There seems to be more that are not good. But in the Bible, we, we are in a portion of 2 Chronicles in chapter 35 where King Josiah, good, good King Josiah, is on the throne. Now, this guy, uh, just to give you a real quick synopsis, his grandfather, Manassas, was a bad dude. He was a bad guy. And he instituted some stuff that God personally was so sick of. He instituted the fact that there was going to be an exile. Let me tell you, his grandfather was a bad dude. But praise the Lord, his grandfather did have some repentance in his older part of life. But he didn't get to re-steer the direction of the country. It was almost like it was already voted in and it was stuck. We were stuck with Manasseh's activities. Now, and he was there for a long time. When his son took over, which was Josiah's dad, Josiah's dad didn't want to follow his dad's repentance. And so he ended up doing the bad stuff that Manassas had started. And it got pretty bad. It was so bad that there was a coup inside the monarchy and they ended up killing Josiah's dad. Here today, gone tomorrow. Josiah was only eight years old. They needed a king, so they went ahead and he took this eight-year-old boy. How old are you? Nine. So it's just about your age. Took this little guy and put a crown on his head and said, you're the king. And that's Josiah. Josiah. Good King Josiah. He became king at eight. He did some reforms, and I'll mention those before in a few moments. But we're picking up in chapter 35 when one of the great things that happened in Josiah's life was that he didn't just get God, but he understood the Scriptures. And look at what happened. If you'll stay with me, we're going to look at, as I said, chapter 35, beginning of verse 18. They've, they've just had a church service, and they've had the Passover, which is the Old Testament's version of communion. No Passover, this is verse 18, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. The priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, the Passover was kept. So that was eight years plus 18 years makes it 
He's only 26. If there's some 26-year-olds in here, just think about it. This guy is leading the people of God, the covenant community, to get closer to God at the age of 26. Verse 20, though, begins with a phrase that, after all this, I almost don't want to read what comes next. Wouldn't it be great to stay in those glory days when they're in a worshiping community and they're loving the moment? But after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish of the, on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. Verse 21. But he sent envoys to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, king of Judah? Am I not coming against you this day, but against the house with, with which I am at war? And God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Verse 22, nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but he came to fight in the plain of Megiddo, and the archers, of, of the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to the servants, take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his father. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And at the beginning, uh, the next verses say that Jeremiah also uttered a lament for him. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments and their songs of lament to this day. These made a rule in, or these, they made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his good deeds, according to what is written in the law of the Lord, and, and his acts, first and last, behold, they are written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. That's in First and Second Kings, the other biblical books. Pretty fascinating, this story. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you will give us fresh insight encourage us through the life of Josiah. I pray that you might open our eyes up to see things that we may not have seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I was preaching a sermon about holiness. If you didn't get it, it was come clean in 15. Now, actually, I was trying to make the parallel from the 8th century BC and the 21st century AD. That was about 615 before Christ and about 2015 after Christ. So we could make the parallel that we all need to come clean. And the agent that we got to see that was, was setting the example was Josiah. When Josiah was a young man from the age of eight all the way up, he did good deeds. In fact, the Bible says in chapter 34 that he did the things that were right in the sight of God. I want you to know, if you have a neighbor, or if you have a spouse, or if you have kids that do right to do the things that are right in the sight of God, happy are you. You may feel convicted a little while. Uh, I remember Hannah's not here, I can pick on her. But Tracy used to say she was like the Holy Spirit. You know, if we would go to somebody's house and they'd offer you a cup of wine, my little daughter would look at you like, you know, that's not good. <laughs> She'd learned that in the school. It was really kind of neat to see the beauty of innocence and the delight of the pure. Do you know of people like that? King Josiah had a desire to do what was good. 
Now, I didn't stop there because after we had this agent of holiness, we also had the appraisal of his culture around him about the lack of holiness. And what Josiah ends up doing as he gets older, he's not just concerned about his own choices. Now he looks around and he sees the bad choices of all the people around him. A lot of the people around him were choosing to worship false gods. They were mimicking the Egyptians. They were mimicking other countries. They said, we want to have a pluralism. We don't want God alone. We want many gods. Wow. Josiah said, no way, Jose. And he started to get rid of them. He went to the high places where they had churches, and he said, no, no more. And because he was king, he had a little bit more influence than a lot of the regular folks. But he took it seriously, even to the point that, remember, he dug up some bones. He had them all crushed up, and he sprinkled them over top of these other things after he burned them all down. I know that's overkill, but what was he trying to do? He was trying to tell God's people that this is worthless, worshiping false gods, having something more important to you than the living and true God. It's worthless. So he had that cultural appraisal. So he's trying to do right in his own life. He's trying to do right in his community. And then the third thing that really transformed things is the Bible. They discovered the Bible at the church and it led to them to have communion. And that, that revealed to them about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that's why we had communion last week. When you get the gospel, it moves Christianity away from a performance religion to being a, a relationship. And to having communion with God, your maker. You see, when I go around and tell you to live a good life, I'm right. You should. Romans 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, really sinful. No, that's not what it says. Holy and acceptable to God. And that's only reasonable. You see, God calls us into righteousness. But righteousness in its own is not good enough because our righteousness is as filthy rags. Isaiah tells us that. In chapter 55. Now, I want you to know that it's not, it, it's not all about um, this, this, this busyness of doing good. But it's the beauty of being forgiven. You see, righteousness is something we want. We need it. But we can't get it on our own. Yes, we need to choose the things that are good over the things that are bad. But we can't get righteousness to get us right with God. If you go to Romans chapter 1, he says that the wrath of God is revealed upon people because of their unrighteousness. You see, you may try to do good, but if you mess up even in one little bit, you deserve the wages of your sin, which is separation from God. So we need a righteousness that is apart from law keeping. We need a righteousness that is a gift to us because we can't buy it, we can't earn it, we can't be good enough to, to secure it. And that's where the gospel comes in, the atonement, the Passover when they went through and had the Passover in Josiah's day, they were thinking about the blood that was over the doorposts and that phrase, when I see the blood, I will pass over. The judgment of God will pass over from you because it's already going on another. He who knew no sin became sin for us and then took on the full wrath of God. Isaiah tells us that in chapter 53. 
The iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Do you see the the Passover was so big? The atonement, that corporate atonement, it changed the world in Josiah's day. And that's where we pick up the message. It's not about holiness. It's about timing. So when you think about timing, what happens in your mind? It was so strange to hear my father-in-law say to my mother-in-law on the Sunday that we went up last week, Uh, We didn't hear it, but she echoed it. She said, he didn't think he had another hour to live. I didn't know that until afterwards. Wow, how precious is time when you start to realize you can start counting your life in minutes. How precious is time? In the book of James, chapter 5, the question comes up after James has done his whole treatise. He's saying, for what is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a moment of time and then is gone. So he says you ought to redeem the time, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. So I want to be able to come back to you this way and say it this way. This message today is about how you're going to manage the time you have. And if you come over here, you can see it, kids, all of ages. It's 2016 is the time of your life. Pretty hollow right now. This is 2016 for all of us. What's going to go in the bucket? What's going to go in the bucket? Well, I know that there's some of you are thinking about what should be in the bucket. um, And I would take you to the scripture there in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, where it says there's a list of some things. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink or I know it's behind me, so you'd be able to help. Or whatever you do. Okay, I was trying to make that this bucket of sand. Ugh. This bucket of sand, I'm not going to bring it around. Bob Braun's not here today, so I can maybe spill a little bit without getting in trouble. But uh, this is a bucket of sand, and it's a picture of your life. And it's the little things of eating and drinking and whatever you do. It's a lot of, a lot of stuff. Now... As I'm going to explain today, you'll see in the illustration, your sand is going to be put in your bucket, like the hourglass of time. It's going to fill that up. And I want to be able to tell you the message today is a 3D message that has three points that starts with a D. And I want you to be able to see how Josiah's life was radically changed. We read this. There's never been a greater time in, in, in the kings since the prophet Samuel. That was during David's time. Think about it. Wow. Pretty exciting. Now, ha- having laid that foundation, I want to speed up through and say there's three Ds that I discovered or that, that are revealed in this particular text that show us uh, the importance of time in your life. The first one has to do with discovery. The second one has to do with the light. And the third one has to do with discipleship. So if you're following along, the first one is like this big stone. If I put a D on it right here. Okay, this would be like... That first D. Uh, The stone is the big stuff in your life. uh, And this first one is discovery. When I look at Josiah's life, Josiah discovered something that changed it all. And if you discover this in this year, it should change your world too. What was the discovery that took place in Josiah's life? I told you he grew up with a grandfather who did get right at the end of his life, a dad who didn't get anything right. And he's a young man, and he's got counselors around him. But what happened was there was the discovery of God's word. 
It would be like walking around in the church. Oh, what's this book? Oh, it's a Bible. If you have your Bibles open, I want to be able to take you there to the verses and show you in the story how it unfolds. That it was really kind of interesting. In verse chapter 34, we're going to be looking at verses 14 and following. But in chapter 34... While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Discovery. They found something that was greater than gold, as Psalm 19 says. Sweeter also than honey of the honeycomb. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. I mean, think about it. They found the word of God. What does that tell you? It means that it was lost. It was not paid attention to. It was collecting dust in that place. If you know what I'm talking about with a Bible in your house, if it's collecting dust... That's not the great way to start the new year. I pray that you will discover what Josiah discovered. Someone showed it to him. And in verse 18, you can see how it was revealed even further. Then Saphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. Wow. This is the discovery. Someone showed it to him and someone read it to him. Now, I might be one of those people in your life that I might be reading it to you today. But how exciting it is to have these discoveries. It not only tells you that the Word of God exists, but this also is showing you what the Word of God reveals or what it exposes. It was made clear. The discovery that God is communicating with us. That is something that many churches don't cherish anymore. If you've gone to a few churches, you've visited a few, many of them don't even have, well, they might have Bibles, but they're probably not open. And if they are open, the likelihood of them being read seems to get less and less. I pray that you as individuals will find that you have the Word of God available to you every day. Discover it. It's there. And I want you to see what's inside of it. Now, secondly, is the delighting. The delighting. If I take another rock and say, when I look at, I'll put it up here, another D is, this one's a big one. By the way, these rocks, two of these rocks, they were delivered to us courtesy of the neighbors when they broke some of the windows. So Bob Braun decided that they would look better inside the church than outside the church where they might tempt somebody. So we're putting them to good use. This big rock is delighting in God. It's one thing to have discovered the Word of God, to know that it exists and to see what's in it. The second thing is for you to be affected by it, to be able to delight in something. I use the analogy of the helicopter views, being able to see something higher. And uh, I use that, that when God gives you the eyes of faith, you begin to delight in things that you didn't delight in before. You see God. Some people can't see God in things. We can. When you look at the news or when you look at tragedies or when you look at, at, at things not being as bad as they could be, you can see God's handiwork or God having sent his angels. We can delight in God. So you can see God. You can see the beauty of, his, of holiness and the ugliness of sin. Those are the things that God sees. And you can also see the value of others. You see that your life is more than just your accumulation of wealth. It's about making a difference with others. 
That's what you end up seeing with the light. Now, with the light comes, with the light comes a response. When my kids are, are all teenagers now, I have four that are teenagers until Caleb turns 20 in February. Uh, so I got four teenagers, and it's like what they would say, all the raging hormones or all that kind of stuff. You know what it's like through all those young years. But typically you're pondering, what's it like if they form a relationship with somebody else? You want them to delight in that relationship. You don't want it to be all pain. Some of you know what pain feels like in relationships. We want people to delight in being in unity, being in fellowship, being in oneness. And that's what happens when Josiah gets to hear the word of God. He draws near to God. He delights in God. And the Bible shows us some interesting reactions. So I want to be able to take you down that list if you will follow me. We're going to be going to verse 19, 21, and 27 in chapter 34, verse 19. And when the king heard the words of the law, he did something that was unusual. What did he do? Now, you all might say, well, that doesn't sound very delightful. But I'm going to tell you something that he was captured. He was fascinated. He was overwhelmed by God's word. He just didn't say, oh, well, what's on TV? When he was captivated by the truth that was coming out of the the law of God, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt not forsake uh, the assembling of yourself together. Uh, then you can also, number, uh, number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your mom and dad. Number six, thou shalt not murder. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. Number 10, thou shalt not covet. He was reading these things and he knew they were God's things. And he got to read a little further when the people of God didn't listen. And Moses said, God, don't turn them away, chapter 33 of Exodus. And then you find out the tabernacle and all the details so that God's presence could dwell with his people. He was fascinated. He was delighting in this. So much so that he says, he ripped his clothes and he says, "Uh uh-oh. I don't think God is going to delight in us. Now, that's one of the things you end up finding in verse 19. Now, when you look a little further down in verse 21, he recognizes this boldly. Uh, verse, um, verse 20, and the king commanded these guys to do these things. And then verse 21, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that have been found. Now, think about that. He says, are there others? Is there anybody else that gets this? Go inquire, ask around. Does anybody else cherish the word of God? I'm hoping that when you look around a room today, even though there's some empty seats, I pray that you will find encouragement that there are others who do value the word of God. Then the fourth fourth thing you find in 21b, when he says... um, And and, uh, so verse chapter, uh, verse 21, went to the wrong chapter there. Um, So for uh, for great is God, go inquire of the Lord for me, all these other people. He says, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in the book. Our forefathers, my dad, my grandfather haven't been holy. 
The people of God have not been holy. It's really bad news. So then down in verse 27, you get to see his real delight in God. When, the one, when this person who knows God ends up responding and says, Go tell your king that because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard these, his word against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, you have even torn your clothes and you've wept before me, I have heard you, declares the Lord. I'm hoping that when you get that wonderful rock of delight that you cherish God. It may lead you to weep. It may lead you to pray. It may lead you to fasting. That you will enjoy God. That you'll recognize you don't have to be God. You don't have to have everything under control. He can handle it. It's really encouraging, the tenderness. The third D is the discipleship. And if you take a look at this rock, it doesn't fit inside the box. As I'm trying to put discipleship in here, it's... It doesn't really fit inside, does it? And that's where most of us are, I think, in our lives. There's just no room for more. We might be able to find some time in our lives to to delight in God, but we don't have enough time to disciple anybody else. Discipleship, what did it take place? It wasn't good enough that he just had his own personal choices were good. It wasn't good enough that he tried to work on his culture to make a difference. It was essential for him to be forgiven. He has to get the gospel right. And that's why when we looked at the opening part of our text today, no Passover ever happened like this in Israel. And you might say, well, what happened in that Passover? That's what I'm hoping you're asking. And so the discovery of that, if you'll back up a few chapters, you're going to be able to see that there are some interesting things that took place. When you find out that, that, the, uh, that as um, verse 1 of chapter 34 or 35, I've got it in chapter 35. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord to put the holy ark in the house of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel that he had built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people, Israel. Prepare yourselves accordingly. Now, the whole point I want to make here is the shift moves from him delighting in God to him to do something with what God's given him. Does he just go and sit on his hands and do nothing? If you discover the word of God and you are delighting to be drawing nearer and nearer to God, what happens next? Nothing? Amy Grant used to have a song, an old song in the 80s. You know, you just become a couch potato for Jesus. You know, you just, you just keep taking in, but you sit there and you do nothing. Here we find Josiah being motivated to disciple, to, de- to have great devotion, to have others to have devotion to God. If you get that, it makes perfect sense how it all fits together. And so they had this communion service that was bigger than anybody had ever expected. There were thousands of animals that were killed. There was so much blood that was spilled because the whole point of it was to show the people of God the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't have the cross yet. It was going to come 648 years later. But it was coming. And while they were anticipating it, they had to kill the animal, catch the blood. And when I see the blood, they would remember that God would pass over his judgment from you 
to it. One day to pour out his wrath on Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. An application before communion. This is our problem. This is our life. We don't have enough room to do the things because we're so busy with the regular things that we miss out on the discovery. But I wanted to start out and say, since it doesn't all fit, uh, let me take you to Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to stand there and probably preach from there in, in the week. As Jesus stood there, and you know the verse, seek ye last, seek ye second, seek ye, help me out, first the kingdom of God. I want to tell you that in the new year, I want to encourage you to discover the word of God exists. And don't make that last on your list. Read it. Secondly, I want you to delight in time with God. When you put that in, it fits. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you go to your meals, you can pray. You can even pray when you're at a restaurant and say, is there anything to the waitress that we could pray for? You can talk to God. Have a, de- a, delight in, a delighting in him. And I also want to encourage you this year to make disciples. Who are you going to pour your life into? Is there anybody that you have a heart for? I would pray that you would put that in because what happens is that the things of this world... They're going to start filling up your life day after day after day, struggle after struggle after struggle, meal after meal after meal, vacuum cleaner after vacuum cleaner. Now, the interesting thing, what are you realizing is happening here? It's all going to fit. And it didn't fit before, even though these have the same cubic volume. If you seek first the kingdom of God in 2016, you get the right mix in the right order, you'll be surprised that all these things will be added unto you. And I had a mentor back 20 years ago who used this sermon title, Get the Right Mix in 96. And he had water in his. And the illustration of this is, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will add to your busy life, even when you find that there's no room for him. Remember, there was no room. Somehow or other, there's room. I don't know if this is going to work. You keep adding and you keep adding. Is your life too full already? It's still got room. It's still got room. (laughs) I'm thrilled it's working. In your life, how important is the Holy Spirit in your life? We don't get to hear a lot about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament because we're in the Chronicles. They're writing about the history. But the Holy Spirit is moving and shaking. He's the one that made them to discover the Word. He's the one that opened up Josiah's eyes to see God. He was the one that motivated Josiah to make a difference in this world, to disciple the people. So that when Josiah was dead... When after all these things, and he ends up dying on the battlefield, everybody else was saying about Josiah, good riddance. I'm glad his term in office was up. Is that what they said? No. You see, and that's the encouragement for you guys. 
is that if you pour your life into others, the people will mourn your loss, which is not a big deal. But what's exciting is that they knew that Josiah knew God, and they aspired, many of them, to be like Josiah. Get the right mix in 1-6. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you will teach us the importance of the Spirit of God moving in our lives. Lord, even when our life seems to be so full, our bucket already is filled. And it doesn't seem like we can add any more devotion or discipleship or even delight in God. We are too busy. I pray, O oh Lord, that we'll get it right by putting those things first. And we will see how you will bring all things to pass. Take no thought, no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own issues. But when you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteous behavior, then God says, I'll fill in the rest. It'll all work together for good. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen the faith of those that are here. And as we come to the Lord's table, as the elders are coming at this time, I do pray that you might remind us that we are given a fresh start in Christ to make this a year that matters. I pray that what goes into our buckets would be edifying. And I pray that we will have the great joy at the end of this year of being able to list names of people that you've blessed us with the opportunity to disciple. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If the elders